Hello and welcome to the Bitcoin and Global Finance podcast with me, Jason Dean. Here we talk about all things Bitcoin and all things financial and try and make some sense of them. So if you'd like to get in touch with me, then I'll give you some contact details at the end of this podcast. Or if you're listening on YouTube, just leave a comment below. So it's great to have you here with me today as we dive into our chosen subject for this podcast. So welcome to episode four. Why are Bitcoin fees increasing? And it's true, and at the time I'm recording this, which is uh, May the 22nd, transaction fees just hit the highest level in 12 months, and actually they're still rising. So what is going on? Well, let's have a look. For the last few weeks, really, it's all been about the halving. Um, pretty much everyone in the world as crypto has been focused on it. Um, we've had live streams, webinars, and even parties reminiscent of New Year's events for the moment that that block height ticked over to 630,000. And then just like New Year itself, really, we find ourselves on the other side and nothing, well, at least to most people anyway, seems any different. The Bitcoin network itself didn't even bat an eyelid and simply carried on with the task in hand, which is processing transactions every 10 minutes. But behind the scenes, miners are still doing the same work as before. The only thing is, we're now doing it with half the pay. Now, I've already written and actually talked about the effects of the halving in some detail previously, so I'm not going to go back into that now. That information is on my Medium profile if you'd like to see it. But even while all of these scenarios or the variations of the ones I proposed played out in real life, something else was actually happening behind the scenes, and it had really been lost in the noise of the halving. And that was that the transaction fees for Bitcoin had unexpectedly started rising. Now, before I go any further, we should probably just remind ourselves exactly how these fees work. So most people know that when you send a Bitcoin to someone or pay a bill with it, a small charge is added to the amount to compensate the miners to make the transaction for you. The miners, by the way, are the guys in the background who run equipment to, to make the network work. Now, this rate is usually set automatically by the wallet you're using, and it's linked to whatever the going rate is at the time. And that information is publicly available to anyone on the blockchain. Now, you can actually override it and put your own settings in, but usually it's advisable to just go with whatever the wallet suggests, because that's tuned in to what the network is doing and kind of understands what the typical rate is that you'll need to get your payment through. And most of that time, that fee is actually negligible. It's just a few cents. It's not even linked to the dollar value of the transaction. So that means if you're sending a payment of $5 to someone, it will usually carry a similar cost as sending $5 million to someone, assuming the network is running properly, of course. And this is one of the reasons why Bitcoin is so appealing for people who have to traditionally use very slow, very expensive central banking systems. After all, where else can you send $5 million for just a few cents? So going back to our transaction, once you've made it, the details are sent to Bitcoin's memory pool, or mempool for those in the know, which is effectively a sort of queuing system. So your transaction then is joined with others to form a block, one of which is processed every 10 minutes and eventually confirmed. Once it is confirmed, it is confirmed forever and can never be retrospectively changed. The miners receive all the fees paid to process that block, which of course will include many transactions and therefore many fees, plus the block reward provided by the network, which now is only 6.25 new units of Bitcoin, down from 12.5 before the halving. 
In fact, it will stay that way now until the next halving, which will occur somewhere around May 2024, when it drops to 3.125 new Bitcoin. So if that's how they work, what causes fee increases? Well, usually that queue, that mempool, is dealt with in an orderly manner. Just like when you arrive in a post office and take your number from the little number dispenser in the middle of the store. In time, you'll be called up and dealt with. However, what if 300 people turned up at the post office at the same time, in a queuing system designed for only 20? There's going to be chaos and there's a good chance some of them will be in a hurry, so they may start to offer payment to jump the queue. Now, as soon as someone starts to do that, then others will start to pay more to go before them, and before long it becomes clear that unless you start paying yourself, you'll be pushed further and further down the queue as the number of people arriving at the post office continues to exceed the number that can be processed. In fact, it's entirely impossible that you'll never be seen by anyone at the post office if you simply waited. So, in time, paying an increased fee actually ceases to be an option. You have to pay. So just as the fees in normal times are a reason Bitcoin fans point out how well the system works for transferring large sums of money, the fees in busy times are the reasons Bitcoin's detractors are so critical of it, and probably rightly so. Scaling is a genuine issue with the reserve cryptocurrency, and one that many brains are working on even now. But at the moment, we're not there yet. So what's causing this increase? Well, there's probably a couple of parts to this. The first one is what we would call an internal network congestion problem. And it's at this point I probably need to make a confession. You see, most people I work with or speak to regularly in the world of cryptocurrency know that I have a Bitcoin mining operation based in Siberia with a company called Siberian Mine. So as soon as anything remotely mining related happens, I get a call. And that was the case this time as well. Now, I've got to be honest, because I had half picked up that there had been an increase in fees, but since they never really stay completely the same anyway due to the way the maths works, I hadn't paid that much attention to them. But when I first got a message and, and then another message and then another message, I knew I'd missed something. And looking at the data, I, I actually had. Like everyone else, I'd just been so focused on the halving that I just hadn't noticed the fees had been creeping up for the few days before it had even happened. In fact, the fees had jumped from the steady 50 cents level, where they'd been roughly for around three months, to about $3 by the time the halving even happened. And then, by the time I started recording this podcast, the fees had actually reached $6.50. And that figure hadn't been seen since June 2019, and even then it was very brief. If you go back further than that to find a similar number, it was January 2018, which was the tail end of that crazy retail-driven bull market that we probably all remember. In fact, the fees at that point very briefly touched $55 to send Bitcoin, and sometimes it could take days, emphasizing that scalability problem. So when I logged into my F2 pool mining dashboard, I was able to see the effect firsthand, and actually for the first time. The block reward figure had halved exactly as we'd expected, but the transaction fee element had jumped, so overall it kind of softened the blow a little bit. But something was definitely going on and I wasn't quite sure exactly what was happening, so I knew I had to look into it. But my first thought was that this was linked directly in some way to the halving. 
When that block reward is halved, and don't forget this is the third time it has happened, since it happens every four years as, as the Bitcoin program dictates, miners adjust their machines accordingly, since the event itself creates a drive for efficiency. Older and less efficient machines are junked and the overall hash rate drops, in this case by around 47.4% at the maximum peak to trough measurement. Now that is huge in Bitcoin terms. Now, according to our previous and only two data points, this is normal. However, since the halving happened in the middle of a 14-day difficulty adjustment period, it meant that the difficulty, that's the mathematical equation that ensures the block time remains at roughly 10 minutes, had not yet reduced. The lower hash rate meant it was now too high for the network to do this, and the block times and the mempool itself had started to rise as a result. The fact that block times are running within perfectly normal parameters, roughly 9.863 minutes, just before and during the halving is an excellent indicator that this must be a factor. The second the halving happened and the hash rate started to fall, the block time started to increase immediately. By the next morning, they had risen to 12.01 minutes instead of 10, and by May the 18th, it was 14.12 minutes. In fact, over those few days, the block processing times recorded an average increase of 23.18% over the period. Now, in Bitcoin terms, that's really significant. So, of course, the same was happening with the mempool in the background. There had already been a couple of spikes in the previous 30 days, contributing to fee increases, although they were at a lower level, before it started reducing again. However, this time, the mempool just continued to increase, just like that post office queue growing faster than the cashiers could deal with it. Now, this makes sense with a lower hash rate and a difficulty which is set too high. At the time that this podcast has been recording, the adjustment has now happened, but the drop was only 6%. Now, it doesn't sound very much, but this was actually the 16th biggest drop in Bitcoin's history, and it's therefore significant. But it still feels at odds with what the real world says. But of course, we're dealing with maths, and the maths is always right. Human emotions, less so. So I had to get a confirmation. I reached out to Thomas Heller, who's Global Business Director at F2Pool, and he actually came back and explained it perfectly for me in a nice little neat nutshell. He said as follows, The recent block halving took place during the middle of a period between difficulty adjustments. Prior to the halving, blocks were being mined at a faster pace than 10 minutes per block, and after the halving, blocks were mined at a slower pace than 10 minutes a block. Because of this, the mining difficulty only decreased by 6%, even though the network hash rates decreased by 20-30%. to 30%. Now, of course, 20-30% to 30% that he quotes is the average decrease. The 47% I quoted earlier was peak to trough. So, if all this is true, we would expect to see a period of adjustment over the next few difficulty epochs especially since price is stable or rising and China's hydro season will begin shortly on or around May the 25th, making mining cheaper in those regions. So, if that's the case, if all this is true, this period of adjustment must, logically speaking, be at least partially responsible for the current spike in fees. But it can't be the only reason. So, there must be another one. Well, let's have a look outside of the network. What else is going on at the moment? So let's just take a quick step back and look at the bigger picture. 
With all the halving stuff that's been going on recently, one of the things I've been talking about quite regularly is how much things have changed since the previous two halvings occurred. So if we go right back to 2012, there were only 43,500 wallets in existence at the time of the halving. Now, that's not a global movement, that's a little fan club. In fact, the Dennis the Menace fan club, which is a British comic character for kids, had more members than people who were involved with Bitcoin at the time, and by quite some margin. Now, four years later, by 2016, this had risen quite substantially to 7.85 million wallets. And in fact, by the time of the last halving, it had reached 48.37 million wallets. And a million of those had been created in the 30 days immediately prior to it happening, at least according to data from blockchain.com. At the same time, Google searches for Bitcoin halving were nine times higher than last time round, even though the number of wallets had only grown by seven times. Those same Google reports also show that general searches for the term Bitcoin had doubled since the beginning of the year. There's no doubt interest is up, but on its own, that doesn't explain anything. But trading activity might. Now, as at the time of recording, Bitcoin's current trading volume has jumped to its highest level since July 2018, when its seven-day average trading volume topped $3 billion per day. Now, this is a level three times the amount seen in April alone. Now, Bitcoin's trading figures, like some other commodities, are sometimes tainted a bit with what's called wash trading activity, which is, you know, not a real trade. But these are the real numbers. They've actually been confirmed by Arcane Research and Masari. So, what does all this mean? Well, basically, that we have a very simple explanation for the whole thing. It seems that a spike in interest and trading activity occurred at the exact same time that a major adjustment in hash rate and difficulty was underway due to the halving. And it's even possible this happened because of the interest caused by the halving. The logical conclusion, therefore, is that the fees simply reflect mathematically what was happening in the real world. So, if that is the case, what happens next? Well, from a network point of view, this will resolve itself within the next few adjustments, especially if China's hydro season starts in earnest within this epoch and starts cutting into the block times. But if external demand keeps rising in the meantime, then the mempool as a whole won't start reducing until it does, and fees are likely to remain higher than usual. So, since none of this is directly in control of anyone, whether miner or user, all we can do is wait and see. Because one thing we can trust is that market forces will eventually take care of everything. Thanks for listening today. If you've got any comments or questions on this podcast, please message me on Twitter at Jason A. Dean. Or if you'd like to know more on the subject of Bitcoin and finance in general, then join me on medium.com forward slash at Jason A. Dean. And as ever, don't forget the E when you're typing that in or you won't find me. Otherwise, I'll see you next time on the Bitcoin and Global Finance Podcast.